Welcome to the Disney at Work podcast, bringing magical ideas to improve your world from the happiest place on earth. Your host is J. Jeff Kober, author, speaker, and consultant to organizations around the globe that look to bring best of Disney ideas to their workplace. Welcome. Hello, glad you joined us today. Uh, this is Jeff Kober. I'm your host for Disney at Work, this podcast. It is uh, an extension of uh, my Disney at Work website, disneyatwork.com, and we are pleased that you could join us for our very first podcast. I say we because on the uh, podcast with me is my uh, partner in crime and cohort, uh, David Sinola. David? Greetings. Glad to be here. I'm glad we're uh, finally working on this and we can get to share with some people some interesting insights into the work that you do at DisneyAtWork.com. We appreciate you moderating this uh, podcast. So just to get kind of started with what we have, um, we want to introduce a little bit about ourselves, tell us a little bit about you, you, David, and a little bit about myself. for those of you who actually follow Disney at Work, you can see that uh, recently I released my first uh, Facebook Live post. You can see a link to that on uh, DisneyAtWork.com, and then you can also subscribe over and uh, at uh, Facebook, which is Disney at Work as well. And there I kind of introduced myself a little bit of who I am, my love of all things Disney, my passion for all things Disney, kind of how that evolved. Uh, as it relates to this podcast, I have been in the business of helping organizations for the last 30 years. And I have worked in the public, private, nonprofit sectors and so forth at, with a wide variety of organizations, many of which are in the Fortune 100 uh, category. But most people know me because I was with uh, the Disney Institute, associated with Walt Disney World, still live in the Orlando area today. and uh, And so... I had the great opportunity of really being a part of the business of that organization, which invited companies to Disney to learn more about best practices at Disney. I was responsible for customer service, so I got to work. Most people who work uh, at Disney, they usually are assigned to a resort or a particular park or even an attraction at a park. I had the really wonderful privilege of working all across Disney, and so I was in crazy places and fun places and places most people never get to see, looking at different practices, best practices, activities, things that we did. And, uh, and we would introduce those kinds of things to, uh, to the organizations. Make the a long story even longer, <laughs> I uh, eventually had the opportunity to move forward and to start my own consulting f- uh, organization where uh, we present these ideas and so much more to organizations. Have another, I actually have two organizations to include world-class benchmarking, where we not only benchmark Disney, but we also benchmark other great organizations like Google and Mayo Clinic and JetBlue and so forth. And, uh, and I continue to do that today. So people come to me and they say, how can we make, your, how can we make our company just like Disney and, uh, or like Nordstrom or like Ritz-Carlton, and we present those best in business ideas. I've gone on to write several books about Disney, um, and you can see those listed at my website. Also, 
a book about many organizations called Lead With Your Customer and what best practices they have around customer service. And, uh, and what, eight years ago, David, we uh, first met up. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I've been teaching for about a dozen years at a small university named Western Illinois University in West Central Illinois. And for the past eight years now, I have taught a class that actually revolves around the customer service culture of Walt Disney World. And so when I was designing that class and conceptualizing what it might be, uh, I had reached out to you and asked if you would be interested uh, basically in teaching a portion of the class when we were on site in Orlando. And it ended up becoming a little more than you just teaching, but you ended up becoming a very valued partner of that experience. And you are the only uh, consistent element of that class in all eight years that we have taught it. And so we have developed uh, both a friendship as well as a good working relationship because of both of our desires to help people understand uh, how they can uh, not only uh, utilize practices that Disney uses uh, in their parks and in their company at large, but also how they can understand maybe what happens behind the scenes a little better. What he means by consistent is that uh, I'm the only one who's been available. The whole time. <laughs> so that's what he means by that. But it's been fun. We've, we've uh, uh, brought scores of students from not only your university, but it, I've actually done a bunch of other universities who brought down students and, and then, of course, other organizations as well. Um, this is our first podcast, and we're just kind of learning as we go along. Uh, we actually tried to record another one, and we just didn't think that was very good. So we're trying again. This is kind of take take two for our what ought to be our first podcast. I and the idea for this podcast actually came um, a couple of weeks ago. I often take my son uh, to uh, the parks. Uh, our whole family goes, but this was a uh, father son kind of adventure and he loves the great movie right and we were standing in line and overheard that there was going to be this event honoring Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds uh, in front of the uh, of the Chinese theater and so after we got off the ride we we came around the corner and sure enough uh, several hundred people had gathered in front of the studios uh, the the host of that event, stood up actually and said, so we want you to know this is an event that was organized by uh, the guests for the guests and or by fans for the fans, I believe is how he put it. And um, and so he kind of led them. I actually put a link up on, well, I'll put a link up on uh, DisneyAtWork.com. You can actually see the video for this. And it was a very touching moment. Uh, I couldn't f quite figure out the umbrellas and then I realized that uh, the umbrellas had to do with uh, Debbie Reynolds uh, and Singing in the Rain, of course. You know, that's even in the great movie, right? Um, the idea of, uh, of uh, Singing in the Rain. And, um, and it was just this touching moment where everybody gathered. And I thought, wow, what fans? What fans of Princess Leia? What fans of Debbie Reynolds and her many, many movies and films and incredible entertainment career? And it was such an extension of fans who, by the way, also love all things Disney. And here they were. Um, how do organizations become successful? It is because they have customers 
who absolutely love them. They are loyal. Uh, they are they are fans. They are individuals who who are advocates of the organization. And one of the things that just really makes Disney so really cool is the fact that you probably will never see such fans, such advocates as you will with those who um, love all things Disney. And I have met loyalty to no end. I think you've probably seen some pretty loyal people out there too, David. I, uh, I remember one of the first people I interviewed for the 25th anniversary of Disney when I was at the Institute was this guy who had every imaginable tattoo over his entire body except his face. I mean, he had all 101 Dalmatians. Plus Spaceship Earth, plus the castle. It was just, that to me, I can, I think I'm a good fan of Disney, but I haven't, I haven't gone there and uh, gone to that place. But, um, but people have. People love Disney. And there is a success that comes when you have people who are that loyal uh, to the organization. And I actually got to experience that in quite a different way. Uh, this past September, I was fortunate enough for the first time to visit Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea. And at that time, I was, I suppose you will call it fortunate enough to be there during what they refer to as costume days. Basically, it is the equivalent that we might know here at the stateside parks as their Halloween time. And so for about four or five days, at the very beginning of this Halloween-ish season, they allow all of their guests to come in full costume to the parks. And I will tell you what, the pictures I could share of seeing the costumes. I mean, some of these costumes, uh, my college students today might use the word legit, but these were some serious costumes with full wigs and makeup. And there were groups of uh, females that were posing together as, you know, eight or nine princesses or an entire family of 10 people that were all different characters from Peter Pan. And there is absolutely that kind of loyalty and that devotion to the brand itself. And one thing that makes the Disney parks, I think, so intriguing to study from a communication perspective is that devotion like that, customer loyalty from people at that level takes on an entirely different side when they have a place that they can go to to interact with other people in a setting like the parks offer. It's not as if they're just going to dress up for a movie, but they can actually walk around a park and experience their favorite movies and their favorite, uh, you know, series. That character. In, exactly. And that is, I think, definitely uh, a side of the customer loyalty that you will not see uh, perhaps with any other brand quite like you do as Disney. Did you, uh, did you grab any pictures of that while you were there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, to, to, the funny thing is... We got to add them to the website. Yeah, we got to add them. We will absolutely add some. So I had a very small cell phone data plan to be able to make sure that I could communicate with my family. And I used and burned quite a bit of it up that first day in Tokyo because I had to send my family these pictures of, look at this person, my daughter's favorite princess is Ariel, and who my, my, my boy's favorite characters were. And I would just stop around and finally, I was trying to sneak pictures of these people. And my wife just said... David, they're probably in costume because they're really excited. They're not going to mind if you ask them. So I just decided to be this crazy tourist that would walk up and just say, hey, could I get a picture? 
Oh, I bet they loved it. And oh, they absolutely did. And they all had little poses down. They would stop and they would get in their own poses. It was oh, yes. it made it so much fun. And it was a noticeable drain of energy from those parks. They were less busy, but four days later when I was there for my last day in the parks and costume days were no longer active, there was definitely a lacking of energy. And in some ways that was good because the crowds were a little lower and you can get on things more quickly, but there wasn't quite the same buzz as there was uh, previously with all these folks in their costumes. They were absolutely showing that height of that customer loyalty for these characters from their favorite brand. In our thought leadership, um, we call it the chain reaction of excellence. And we ask ourselves, what creates that kind of loyalty? And, and as another example of that loyalty, consider uh, the Disney Vacation Club. Now, here is what, was, what has been traditionally you know, a, a timeshare and, and something that most people have a very negative perception of. And yet, um, Disney has been incredibly successful with introducing their version in the Disney Vacation Club. In fact, uh, it looks like we're going to hear an announcement any day about um, Coronado, uh, or not Coronado Springs, uh, Disney's Caribbean Beach adding a Disney Vacation Club component. Who knows? Well, that may not happen. But but definitely it has been a an incredibly successful experience for them. So much, so you have an idea of this. In, in traditional timeshare markets, about 5% of those people who purchase in a, a, a typical timeshare, about 5% will become repeat purchasers. In Disney's uh, Vacation Club, they have traditionally ran numbers, especially in the first years, of 65% plus of repeat purchasers. That is a, that is a staggering difference that adds to the bottom line. In a, in, a, in a major way. And and the referrals that people give for their timeshare, you're going to see that about 15% will give referrals. At Disney, over 80% give those referrals. That's, that's what creates a bottom line success for an organization. And you see it, not just Disney, you see it in Apple. You see it at um, things like In-N-Out Burger in California. You see it um, with... Uh, Google and other other organizations. People love uh, certain organizations. They love certain businesses. They do, you know, it, it may be their beautician down the street or first salon person that they visit down the street. But, but either way, there is something about customer loyalty. And how do you get to that? You get that by providing great customer service, not good customer service, great customer service. So there's something different about people who provide good service and great service. And um, I thought maybe I'd just add a, a little story from one of um, my blog posts about what that great service looks like and what a difference it makes. Um, there was a, um, a lot of people come back to Disney because they have made a friendship with a cast member. And there was a manager at Coronado Springs who became friends with the family uh, from Connecticut. The cast member especially came to know the family's little girls and they would seek out the cast member and share their experiences visiting Walt Disney World. They'd talk about being princesses and the girls were so excited when the cast member asked for their autographs. They emailed the cast member when they returned back each year and sent her pictures that, that they had drawn 
and which actually would sit on the desk of the cast member. So, I mean, these are real relationships. Um, when, the cat, when the family returned in 2013, the girls ran up and gave the cast member hugs and kisses like they did every year. Cast member asked about their vacation and they kind of went on talking. And at one point, the grandmother pulled that cast member to one point, one side, and said that their seven-year-old girl who was attending Sandy Hook Elementary School was in fact in one of the classrooms on that fateful day in uh, months previous in 2012. In fact, it was her second grade class that was seen, I don't know if you remember that photo, running away from the school. She was okay, but that little girl had lost three of her best friends. And the past few months had been really, really tough for their family. Finally, the family walked away promising uh, they would uh, come back next day. They were headed to Epcot and they would tell the, the cast member how their day at Epcot went. After they left, that cast member immediately called her partners at Yacht and Beach and asked if they could get them special fireworks viewings for illuminations. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's uh, the little boats that go out. Um, they were able to get the family on a fireworks cruise from the Yacht and Beach Club that night. That night. And the family could not have been more excited. The girls loved it because they each got five balloons along with it. And yet still, the cast member wanted to do something else, something more. So getting on the phone, brainstorming with the entertainment manager at the Magic Kingdom, they planned to do a private meet and greet uh, with the next day's parade at the Magic Kingdom. And as I recall, one of their favorite uh, princess was Cinderella and the other, their favorite Disney character was Wendy. So I think they were particularly looking for uh, Wendy and Cinderella if they would come to a meet and greet. Um, now, when they usually do this, a few Disney characters will volunteer for a single for this for that kind of photo opportunity. They'll come out before or afterwards and do that kind of thing. When the cast heard about this family, every single character from that parade was there to greet them, even the dancers. The princesses presented the girls with baskets full of princess paraphernalia and all tchotchkes and so forth. And they handed them a giant poster with everyone's autograph. They then walked them off to the roped off viewing section and each Disney character who had just met them backstage walked up and hugged them again as they came out during the parade. The entertainment manager shared with the cast member uh, from Disney's Coronado Springs how much his family touched the entire cast of the parade and how they were still talking about how much they loved the girls. The mother told the cast member how grateful they were for the memories that uh, were made on this trip. While they couldn't replace the ones they had, that, that had been carved into them on that fateful day, they still made new memories and good memories that would last a, life, a lifetime. The mother said it was the first time they were able to relax and give just a little bit of innocence back to the children. Well, I'll give you the link to the story. It goes a little longer. But do you see, it, it, it isn't just about good customer service. It's about great customer service. And you can't get that unless you have a cast that's engaged and willing to go the extra mile and are passionate about serving their customers. 
does that resonate with you, David? What's you, been your experience? Yeah, I think the interesting thing to note about that as well is a lot of times when uh, people will hear stories like that, they may think, well, I've never had an experience quite of that caliber, right? Something, I have never undergone a tragedy. There hasn't been a large amount of cast members going out of their way. But I think the important thing to have an excellent culture like that is to realize that those things can also happen in small ways. Yeah. Uh, when we were down on a trip uh, sometime last year, my middle son, he's, he's eight now, his name is Jonah. He is a huge Star Wars fan. And it was only about six months after The Force Awakens Episode 7 had come out. And for some odd reason, my son's favorite line from that entire movie is when somebody that is from Scotland says something to the effect of, tell that to Kanja Club. He thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. He has a keychain that he made that's on his backpack. They'll walk around the house saying, tell that to Kanja Club. So we're walking through World Showcase in Epcot. And we pass somebody and he hears a cast member with a Scottish accent. And so I said, Jonah, we should go ask him if he would be willing to say, tell that to Kanja Club. <laughs> and so Jonah's very shy and he says, no, 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 we can't do that. I said, we can at least ask him and, and, and see if he would. So we walk up to him and we turn him around and this cast member says, you have no idea that you have found the biggest Star Wars fan that we have here at Disney. My license plate is connected to Star Wars. My office is filled with Star Wars things. And so he then said... Do you really want me to tell you how to say it? And he says, sure. So he proceeded to spend, I would guess, probably 25 minutes. He was a manager, uh, an area manager for PhotoPass. And his job was basically to walk around and check on, especially because the middle of the summer, check on all the PhotoPass photographers to make sure they were staying hydrated and they had no issues that they needed. And so he asked if the boys wanted to basically walk around with him while he checked on all these different PhotoPass photographers to learn how to say different things with his Scottish accent. And so he would. we walked up to, I would say, 20 different cast members learning how to say Kanja Club and learning how to say other things. And it was the greatest thing. He took pictures with us with a photographer looking like he was using the force. And my kids continue to say, anytime I'm down there, Dad, you've got to look for that cast member. And sure enough, I was back about two months later and I'm walking through Mouse Gear and all of a sudden I see this manager and I <laughs> called out his name and he kind of looked at me and I said, you probably don't remember me, do you? And he said, Kanja Club. <laughs> and I went, you remember my kids. And so he filmed, he, he, he let me film a little video of him talking to my kids and then I was back because I was on sabbatical. I was back a month later and I hunted him down again and he talked to me and he said hello. He asked how the boys were doing and he asked to film another video. And it didn't matter what souvenirs I would have brought back for my kids. Those videos from that cast member, that Star Wars fan, are the thing they were telling all of their relatives about because of that relationship that they had built. You know, it, it, it reinforces the fact. Exemplary customer service creates customer loyalty, creates the success that any organization can have. Now, how do you get... A, how do you get your, 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 your employees, cast members at Disney, but how do you get your employees to sustainably, day in, day out, deliver great customer service? And the only way I know how is by creating a culture of highly engaged employees. Now, I didn't say satisfied employees. I said highly engaged employees. And what you don't see, what you don't realize when you when you are at Disney is how much 
supports that culture. Many of you listening to this podcast probably know about Windows on Main Street. You know that one of the ultimate tributes to, um, to an employee for a lifetime of work is to have a window on Main Street. Most people do not know that the partner statue, the one of Walt Disney and Mickey in front of the castles of Disneyland, Walt Disney World, and also in some of the international parks, uh, also are associated with a form of recognition that is that was given to cast members for being successful in delivering customer service and in supporting their cast and being um, mindful of the business. Excellence is what it was called, partners in excellence, and, and, and that's a reward. There are all sorts of things that you can do to engage your employees and to get them, and nothing engages them more than a terrific experience with a customer. But, but you have to sustain that and create a culture for that. And the only way you can truly get an engaged workforce is by having leadership excellence. Now, notice I didn't say leadership goodness. You have to have great leaders. But I also didn't say manager excellence. Leadership needs to happen throughout the entire organization. In fact, one of the things I'm completing this year is a new book on leadership at Disney and what that looks like. And, uh, and it's, a pretty, it's a pretty amazing thing when you study it. Of course, it's hard to, diff- it's hard to talk about Disney uh, and leadership if you don't talk about Walt. Um, one of the quotes that um, I had thought long and hard about is a statement that Diane uh, Miller uh, gave of her dad, Walt. And of course she, you know, loved her dad. But she also saw him as the businessman he was, or as the head of the studio. And she characterized him probably better than any by saying the following, quote, Walt was unquestionably one of the most demanding bosses an employee could ever have. He didn't hesitate to cut down an employee with a harsh word or even a public tirade. He was uncompromising in his desire for quality, and he held his staff to the same high standards as he did himself. What's more, he never thought money was the reason to do good work, and he had difficulty understanding others whose main motivation was cash. And though more than one staffer left the Disney Studios unhappily, many others stayed with Walt for years, some for up to five or six decades. 30 years after his death, a number of former employees still welled up with tears when they talked about his passing. This is hardly the mark of a mean boss. You know, that's a, that's a pretty powerful statement. The people have spent the larger part of their lifetime, even though that's, you know, we just passed the 50th anniversary of Walt's passing. And people who are still alive today who remember Walt speak in those generous terms of him. Now, we're also recognizing some of the difficult challenges of it. He was a man of weaknesses, but he was also a man who was visionary and had strengths. And it's a, it's a powerful thing. Now, there's a man named Warren Bennis. Maybe you've read 
uh, some of his books, he says, like love, leadership continues to be something everyone knew existed, but nobody could define. There are, in truth, about 850 definitions of leadership that have emerged over the last five, past decades of academic research. There's been an evolution of how to describe leadership. But if there's one thing that people have found consensus in, it's that a leader can be anyone. And you know that. You've, you can ask yourself, do you know a manager you've had that you would say, yeah, he was my manager, but he, I wouldn't call him a leader. Conversely, do you know people who were leaders even though they didn't have a managerial title? When we say leadership excellence drives a culture of highly engaged employees, uh, it, it means that everybody needs to come to the table, being a leader. Uh, it recently, Bob Iger, who was celebrated um, in, a, uh, in a recent article that was, uh, that was put out, I think at the end of the year, he was named Showman of the Year by... Uh, by Variety. There was a great article, and, and I have a connection to it on my Disney at Work site, uh, Bob Iger, Sushi and the Excellence at Disney. And he talks about what what is excellence and so forth. And it was interesting because he goes into his fascination with the work of Hiro Ono, who at 91 has the reputation of being the world's greatest sushi chef. You go into this train station, and I wish I'd been down there. Next time we're down there, David, we got to go check out the sushi station. I'm not the biggest guy in sushi. But in this document, documentary, Hero Dreams of Sushi, they talk about this very modest sushi bar and this man who has made his life focus to be the very best sushi maker possible. And how do you make that happen in an organization? Well, anyway, we could go on and on. But the long story, the long and short of this is, and we'll show this in, in the, uh, the website with these uh, links, leadership excellence drives engaged employees, which drives highly satisfied customers, which drives loyalty and long-term success. That's what we're talking about on this podcast. We have stories after stories. We have ideas, concepts, how to make, and not just how was it at Disney, which we will cover all aspects of Disney in talking about, but uh, we also want, we connect this to your organization and how to actually make this kind of, these kinds of great ideas come alive. And unlike others who only talk about what's perfect at Disney, we'll sometimes be really practical. We're not, we're not here to be critical. But we're here to look at things practically and say what really works and when do they drop the ball? Because those are lessons too that need to be understood as we move forward. Anyway, this is, this is the purpose of the website, the Facebook Live events, and especially this podcast. David and I will join you. We'll be hosting some, uh, some colleagues and friends and great people out there to come join us on this podcast. Um, and I think every once in a while, David, I think we're going to have a Disney at work on vacation where just you and I talk about our favorite things of Disney because we could just talk forever about things. We, if it's amazing we ever get a podcast done because we just go off talking about things we all things we love at Disney. So we'll talk about those things too, but we want to invite you to join us and be part of this podcast. 
Thank you very much for joining us today for episode one of the Disney at Work podcast. We will look forward to uh, have you join us on future episodes. Thank you very much. Have a magical day. Now it's time for our Disney at Work trivia question. If you think you know the answer, send us an email at podcast at disneyatwork.com. From those correct answers, we will choose one random winner and announce that winner on a future show. So, here's your question. Those of you who are members of D23, Disney's loyal fan club, know that 23 in D23 stands for the year Walt and Roy went into business together to create what is the Walt Disney Company we know today. What is the month and day that company was organized? And here's a hint. It's the same month and day, though not the year, as Jeff's birthday. We ask that you stay tuned for more Disney at Work insights available through the blog at DisneyAtWork.com and also through Facebook Live on the Disney at Work Facebook page. We will also soon be having some meet and greets at Walt Disney World, so please stay uh, tuned while we will announce details about those events. Have a magical day. Thank you.